You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. So it's an honor and a privilege to open up God's Word with you tonight. And uh, like Barry said, we're going to be in Ruth 1 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, hope you do. Please turn to Ruth and we'll be in chapter 1 tonight. If you came last week, uh, Chuck, I wasn't here, I didn't get a chance to listen, but um, I'm confident that Chuck did a great job of giving us an overview of the book of Ruth. And so we're going to start this week and we're going to dive in through every chapter in the book of Ruth. So we had a lot to cover tonight. Uh, we're going to go through the whole chapter. And, uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, you know, one of my favorite things to do on the computer is I love to play Google Earth. You ever done that before, right? You, you get to zoom out, uh, you know, from space and you can zoom all the way in uh, to wherever you want to. I'm going to show you this video. You can zoom all the way into the church. Anybody see their car in the parking lot? Um, and I love to play with that. Um, it, it, maybe you, I like to watch my house sometimes and see if what car's in the driveway or maybe even see if we're out playing when they took the picture. But when you think about the book of Ruth, when you look at especially this chapter, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see the opening of Ruth in a picture of the nation Israel. And then we're going to zoom in to one specific family. And then we're going to zoom in to one particular woman named Naomi. When we look at the life of Naomi through the book of Ruth, you'll see a woman who goes from emptiness to fullness, from tragedy to glory. The book of Ruth reveals to us that no matter what we're going through, no matter how we got there, no matter how hopeless and hard things are, we can always have hope in the gospel. We can always have hope in Jesus Christ. So the first point tonight that we're going to look at is this. Running from God causes loneliness and hopelessness. Running from God causes loneliness and hopelessness. Look at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, just if you've studied the book of Judges, uh, it's probably one of the darkest books in the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God told Israel that when they got into the land, that they were to obey him. They were to love him. And if they do, if they worship him and love him and obey him, he will bring them blessings. He will remove the enemies from them. He will protect them. He will provide for them. And he will keep them in the land. But he said this, if you disobey me when you get in the land, if you do not love me, if you worship other gods, then I will bring you cursings. I will bring enemies into you. I will let enemies destroy you. And I will remove you from the land. So what happened? Well, we get into the book of Joshua and we see they're in the land. They're conquering the land. And Joshua, I believe, gives one of the most motivational speeches we ever heard where he tells them, you know, you have to make a choice. You have to serve and worship the Lord or you have to serve and worship other gods. And he says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what does the people do? They shout, we will serve the Lord. So we get into the book of Judges and things start to change. We get in the book of Judges. God had told them that when they get into land to remove all of the nations from the land. Because he knew that if they didn't, they would start to mingle with them. And start to follow them and worship their gods. So God had told them to remove them from the land. And what we see in the book of Judges, at first, they're not doing this. We also see Joshua dies. We see the generation dies. And it says a new generation rose up 
and they did not know God. They disobeyed God. They ran from God. They rebelled against God. And because of this, the anger of the Lord was against Israel, and he gave them over to their enemies. They did what God told them not to do, and God did exactly what God told them he would do. When I was little, uh, my father had, had strict rules, right? And I knew if I followed my father's rules, then everything was okay. But, the, but if I got off my father's rules, if I disobeyed him, then I was in trouble. And I can remember like it was yesterday. I can remember I was in uh, church, and, uh, and my dad had told me, hey, don't act up in church, right? You're going to get a spanking if you do. Well, I disobeyed God, uh, my dad and wasn't, paying, wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And, of course, my dad said, all right, son, you disobeyed me. Now comes the punishment. And he said, I got a meeting after church, and, but after church, when I get home, I'm going to, um, I'm going to spank you. Well, of course, I knew my father was serious, right? When he told me something and I didn't do it, I knew he was serious. So like every genius child, I went home and I put on about five or six layers of pants so that when my father got home, maybe the spanking wouldn't hurt as much. My dad was serious when he told me what he told me to do. And that's what we see God. God had told them exactly what to do. But they didn't listen. They didn't obey God. And God did exactly what he told them he would do. He brought them punishment. See, the truth is God is love. God is patient. But his patience will run out. And most of the time when you see God's judgment in Scripture, he starts with his own people. I believe we see that in the book of Judges. And I think that's what we see here in the book of Ruth. You know, I heard many people say when COVID came, you know, they said, you know, if it wasn't for this wicked world, COVID would have never happened. You know, and I'm not here to judge if that was a punishment from God or a judgment from God. But here's what I will say. Here's what a question I will ask you. What if, just what if COVID, what if God allowed COVID to wake up the church? What about that? So going back to the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth zeroes now. Remember, we started with a nation. So now we're going to move into a family. This man from Bethlehem, he packed his family up and he took them to a place called Moab. Why? Because there was a famine in the land. Remember God's judgment. He had brought famine into the land. So they fleed Bethlehem and they went to Moab. Let's think about this. Bethlehem means house of bread. Now, this house of bread is out of bread, right? This is physical darkness for them. They have no food. But here's what I think the Spirit is teaching us here. This also is spiritual darkness. Spiritually, this is what it looks like with and without Christ. With Christ, we have complete joy and satisfaction. Jesus says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Without Christ, we shall have hunger and thirst. In John 4, Jesus told the woman, if you continue to drink the water that you're drinking, he's talking about worldly things. If you continue to try to seek those things, he said, you will continue to drink and drink and drink. And he says, but you will never be quenched. He said, but if you drink the water that I give you, then my water will be what satisfy you. I believe this is what the Spirit again is teaching us. He's showing us that because of Israel's rebellion and their abandonment of God, they were physically deprived. But more importantly, when we rebel against God and we run from God, we are spiritually deprived of all the good things that only Christ can give us. See, church, the truth is if we seek anything, anything other than Christ, we will never have complete joy. We will never have complete satisfaction. In my ministry, if I seek my ministry more than Christ, I will never be satisfied. If I seek my family more than Christ, then I will never be satisfied. If you're here tonight and you're watching tonight, and if you're seeking other things other than Christ, then you will continue to search and to search and to search. And you, I promise you, will never find complete joy 
and satisfaction. This complete joy, complete satisfaction can only come from Christ. But here's the good news. The good news is that all through scripture, most of the time when we see God bringing a famine, he's using it to draw his people back to him. I mean, this is the beauty of God, right? Even when we rebel and we abandon God, he still wants us to come back. He still wants us to repent and he wants us to turn back to him. This is the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Maybe you're here tonight and you're listening tonight and you're rebelling against God. Maybe you're disobeying God. Maybe you've never had a relationship with God or maybe your relationship with God is not what it used to be. Well, here's the truth is, the truth is, the good news is, he wants to forgive you. He wants to save you and he wants to reconcile with you. If you will just confess your sins and repent of your sins, God in his mercy and his grace and his goodness, he will forgive you, he will save you and he will reconcile you with a relationship with him. See, this famine, they were supposed to draw Israel to repentance, but notice what this man does. Instead of repenting, what does he do? He flees to Moab. Elimelech means my God is king, but he's not living this right. He takes his whole family and he turns not to God, but he turns to Moab. See, I believe the thing he should have done was stayed in the land and repent, but he didn't. He took his family and he fleed to Moab. Maybe you're here tonight and you're going through something tonight. Maybe you're not in a good place with God. And instead of trusting God and repenting, you're running in from God and you're trusting in something else or someone else. Instead of running to God, you're running to your Moab. Ingrid, uh, Ian DeGood says this, Often we exhibit a fundamental lack of trust in God's goodness. Perhaps we complain about the job God has given us or the spouse we've married or the family or lack of the family that God in his providence has allotted to us. And we fantasize about greener fields elsewhere. Perhaps we have to confess that we have turned our back on the Lord's way and have journeyed to the field of Moab that seemed to offer better bread. Verse 2, the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi and the names of his two sons were Milan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and they remained there. Now notice where they went. They go to Moab. Now let me tell you, talking about pouring salt on a wound, if you know anything about Moab, it started with the ancestral relation between Lot and his children. We also see that Moab tried to hire the prophet Balaam to curse Israel. And we also see that the Moab people seduced Israel into false worship and sexual morality. This place, these people, they were constantly rebelling against God. So think about this family. Not only did he just flee from God and run from God, but he went right to a place that had a history of rebelling against God. But notice what it says there. It says that they remained there. Now think about that. He didn't just swoop in there like he was going to a hotel overnight, right? He went there like a home. He got settled in, right? And that's what we do with our sin, right, and our rebellion. We don't just dabble in it, but we, we stand in it, we sit in it, we get settled in it, right? Remember, that's what Psalm 1 is telling us. Psalm 1 says that we walk in sin, in rebellion, we stand in it, and then it says we sit in it. We get comfortable in our sin. We get comfortable in our rebellion against God. This is what we learned from this man. The, during, the, during the time of Judges, it said the people were doing what's right in their own eyes. Not what God had told them to do, but what was right in their own, own eyes. And this is what we see this man doing with his family. He's not trusting in God. He's trusting in himself. This is what happens when we try to live our lives the way that we want to instead of the way God's word tells us to. And see, this is the beauty of the Bible. So you ever heard people say this, that they don't want to read this, they don't want to study this because they say it's just a bunch of rules? 
Well, it is rules. It does say things that we should and we shouldn't do. But the beauty of this is it's a relationship, right? It's a relationship with God. And the more we spend time in the word of God, the more we grow closer to God and the more we have complete joy and complete satisfaction. But the more that we stay away from this Bible, the more we stay away from God's word and we don't grow in our relationship with God, the more we have a tendency to flee from God and to to move and far and rebel against God. And that's what we see going on here, right? Um, I can almost guarantee you with this right here, I can guarantee you if you are not spending time with God in his word, then you will not only grow, but that life will lead you to rebel against God, to abandon him, and that will lead you to a life of destruction. If you want to live your life with complete satisfaction and complete joy, then you need to spend time in this word, right? That's what God tells us. If your relationship, let me just tell you this, if your relationship with God is not right or it's non-existent, it is you, it's not God. Let me say that again. If your relationship with God is non-existent or it's, or it's not what it needs to be, it is not God, it is you. Think about the story of the prodigal son. The son takes his inheritance, right? And he, he flees from, he abandons his family and he goes and he spends it all on everything, right? And he comes back to his family. He's got nothing left. And you can just imagine as he's coming back, he's, uh, he's probably contemplating, how's his father gonna react, right? He had rebelled against his father. He had taken everything and he left. But what does it say in the story? That when he came up on close to the house, his father was there waiting on him and he actually ran to him. This is God, right? When we abandon, when we run from God, when we flee from God, when we rebel against God, he's standing there waiting on us, wanting us to come back to him. The truth again is if you want to please God and have a life that pleads him and leads to complete joy, then it starts with you spending time with God in his word. And if you don't, you will flee from him, you have a tendency to rebel against him, and that will lead you to destruction. Think about our measures as a church. Am I spending time with God daily? Am I living what I'm learning? Am I sharing Jesus regularly? Am I spiritually investing in others? And am I sacrificing for the kingdom? Those are all great questions to ask yourself. But notice what the first one says. Am I spending time with God daily? Because here's the truth. If you're not spending time with God daily, then you can count on none of these other things, right? It all starts with spending time with God in his word. And so the question for you tonight is, where is your relationship with God? Are you spending time with him? So as Amalek, this man, he makes his way and he settles into Moab, things continue to go bad for him. Look at verses three through five. But Amalek, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Shilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So first, this man dies and then his sons marry Moabite women. I believe what we see here is not only did he rebel against God, but I think we see a rebellion in his children. Back in, uh, in the Old Testament, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, 1 through 5, God told them that when they get into the land, he said, don't make covenants with the, with the nations. Don't intermarry them because if you do, you will rebel against God and you will start to follow their gods. And I think that's what we see these men doing. They, they marry these Moabite women. So think about this. This man, he rebels against God, and he flees to Moab, and now his sons rebel against God, and they marry these two women. So think about this, parents. What are you teaching your children? Are you teaching them to love the Lord? Are you teaching them to put God first, to live the way he wants you to? Are you teaching them how to stay in God's word? Or are you teaching them how to rebel 
against God. Now, just because you teach them how to live the way that they need to live does not mean that they will follow that. But I can promise you this, that if you teach them how to rebel against God and show them how to do that in your own life, then I can bet you that they will live the same life. They will rebel against God just like they learned from you. So what are you teaching your, your children? Now, look at what happens. Uh, we, I think, again, I can't tell you this for sure, but I believe we see God's judgment. Uh, I think they die, but then also I think another one we see is these guys, had, these women had no children, right? I think they were barren, right? Look at uh, in Deuteronomy 28.4, it says this. Blessed be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. But Deuteronomy 28.18 says this. Cursed be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. I think what we see here is these men were rebelling against God just like their father. And I believe we see a sense of God's judgment. And at this point, now we're going to focus now, move in, remember, we're going to focus on this one woman from the rest of the time in the book on this woman named Naomi. Now, you think about Naomi. Put yourself in her shoes. She's just attended a bunch of, about three funerals. She has no husband. She has no sons. At this time, uh, in this culture, if you had no sons, you had no husband, no one to carry out your name, you were pretty much dead. You were pretty much non-existence. So you can just imagine Naomi. She's, she's lonely. She's depressed. And she's probably feeling hopeless. And maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you know what Naomi's going through. Maybe you have been through that. Maybe you're there now. It could be because of sin and disobedience, but it might not be. See, the truth is we will all go through hard times. We will all suffer. The Bible shows us this. It shows us that people will suffer. It gives us stories and stories of people suffering, possibly because of sin, but not always because of sin. So we can all relate to Naomi in some way. Maybe we felt depressed before or lonely or hopeless. Maybe we've wondered where God is and does God really love us? So what do we do in this situation? What do we do when we're suffering, feeling lonely and hopeless? See, our flesh tells us to run. It tells us to flee from God. Think about Adam and Eve. When they sinned against God in the garden and God came down, what did they do? They hid, right? Our sin tells us to flee from God. But what do we need to do? When we find ourselves in a situation, we need, instead of running from God and running away from rebelling against God, we need to turn to God and trust him. Here's the second point. Running to God causes fullness and hope. Running to God causes fullness and hope. Look at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now notice uh, Naomi, she's depressed, she's lonely, she's hopeless. What does she do? She returns to Bethlehem. The Hebrew word there means to turn back, to go back, to bring back. So what do we do when we find ourselves rebelling against God and running from God? What we need to do is to run to God. We need to trust him and put our faith in him. When we, need, we need to turn back to God again and trust him and turn to him. In 1 John 1, 8, it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. If we turn back to God and ask him to forgive us and ask him to reconcile us, the Bible clearly tells us, that he promises he will do that. And that's what we need to do. That's what you need to do if you find yourself in that situation right, right now tonight. It also seems in this verse that not only did Naomi try to decide to turn, return to the Lord, but Israel decided, must have decided to repent and return to the Lord. It notices that the Lord visited them and he, given them, he gave them food. 
The famine is over. Think about that. God had visited his people by giving them blessings and providing for them. This is the beautiful picture of God's grace. Even when they rebelled against him, no matter how much they rebelled against him, if they called out to him, what did he do? He brought them blessings. He brought them food. See, Israel, because of the rebellion, they were physically deprived, but now they are physically and spiritually filled. How do we know this? Well, it says that Ruth, or Naomi, sorry, heard this all the way from, to Moab, from Moab about what God had done for them. Now, think about this. When someone experiences the gospel, they can't help from shouting it to the rooftops. Let me ask you this. Have you ever tasted a good burger? Oh, yeah, right? Uh, what do you do when you taste a good burger? Do you keep it to yourself? No, right? You call probably a bunch of people. Hey, man, have you had this burger? You need to go try this burger, right? You don't hold good news to yourself. You want to tell others about it. That's what we need to do when we experience the gospel. We can't keep it to ourselves. Charles Spurgeon said this, when a man or woman is truly rescued by God, they cannot stop themselves from shouting from every rooftop. They cannot be silenced. Even if they have no human listeners, they tell it to the waterfalls and babbling brooks. They travel to the wilderness to speak to rocks and dust. They fly to the mountains and yell it over canyons and riverbeds. Because once a person has heard the call of heaven, they become unstoppable. God's blessing and his grace was so amazing, it was shouted all the way to Moab. Look at verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So Naomi decides to return home. Now, think about Naomi. Naomi, this is a decision to return back home. But what about these two girls, her two daughters-in-law, right? If they go with her, they're giving up everything, right? This was their land and their people and their gods. So in order for them to go with her, they would have to sacrifice and give up everything. Look at verses 8 and 9. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's, her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So as they're returning, Naomi stops and she encourages them to stay where they're at, right? She's basically saying, there's nothing for you with me. Right? There's nothing with you. You need to stay here. These are your people. This is your land. You need to stay here. But notice what she does. She does two things. I think she prays for them, and she speaks the truth about God to them. I think she's, first of all, she prays. She prays that the Lord would deal kindly with them, that he would give them rest, and for God even maybe even bless them with future husband and maybe future children. She also speaks kindly, or speaks about God. She uses the word kindly. This Hebrew word refers to God's faithful love. It speaks of his faithfulness, his grace, and his mercy and compassion. What I think Naomi does is she reveals God's heart for the nations. See, I think she knows that God's grace and his mercy can and will expand outside the walls of Israel. And as Christians, we need to understand God's heart for the nations. We need to understand that we must take the gospel all over the world. That's why we go to our neighbors. That's why we go to our communities. That's why we go to the nations. We must take the gospel all over the world because God wants everyone to know him and to worship him. Naomi continues to plead with them. Watch, look at verses 10 through 13. 
And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Will you, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. What Naomi's saying to them is that, look, there's no reason for you to go with me, right? She's saying that even if God blesses me with children one day, more children, you're going to have to wait so long for them to even be in the age of you marrying them. She said there is nothing for you to go. But she also says this in verse 13, for the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, Naomi believes that Lord is done with her, that he's abandoned her. He wants nothing more to do with her. Have you ever felt this way? Maybe you have. Maybe you're feeling this way now. Have you ever felt the Lord is done with you, that he is far from you? Maybe, maybe you feel like you're too far gone for God to even care about you. I was sharing the gospel with a friend one time, and I was sharing my testimony, what all God had done. And he looked at me, and he said, you know, that sounds great. And he said, but my life is too bad for God to care about me. Maybe, maybe you feel that way. But maybe also, maybe you, your relationship, you feel like the Lord has abandoned you. Maybe something you've done and you feel like he's abandoned you. This is how Naomi is feeling, I believe, at this moment. That God is done with her. That God has abandoned her. So at this point, Orpha and Ruth have a decision to make. They can stay in Moab, their land, their people. Or they can go with Naomi to a new land, to new people, and to a new God. So what would they do? Would they stay or will they go? This reminds us of Luke 14 when Jesus said, count the cost. You know, Jesus was always talking about counting the cost, making sure we have what it takes to follow him. I just finished a book called Sea Stories. Uh, and it's about a, a, the retired Admiral William McRaven, who was a Navy SEAL. And in this book, he talks about his, the Bin Laden mission. He was one of the leaders in that. And he said in this book, he said that they planned for months and over and over and over they went over it, counting all the costs to make sure they had what it took to be successful. He said when they went and met with uh, 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 President Obama and his leaders, they continually meeting with him over and over, making sure, again, counting all the costs to make sure they had what it took to be successful. That's what Jesus tells us to count the cost. You ever notice that Jesus sometimes feels like he's trying to talk us out of following him more than he wants us to follow him? Now, we know that God wants us to follow him, but it, but it does sound that way, right? When I was in graduate school, I worked for a guy who was really hard. I respect him, but he was so hard to work for. But he didn't hide that. When I was getting ready to leave and he was looking for people to replace me, he told me, he said, now when I bring these people in, I want you to tell them how hard it's going to be. I want you to tell them how mean I'm going to be to them. See, he wanted people there. He wanted people to learn from him and to work for him. But he wanted people to understand how hard. He wanted them to understand what kind of commitment it was going to take to be committed to him. And I think that's what we see in Scripture. Now, what would these two women do? Look at verses 14 and 15. Then they lifted up their voice and they wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So both women consider the cost. Orpah decides, you know, it's not worth it. She goes back. But Ruth decides to go with Naomi. She decides to go with Naomi to her land, to her people, and to, with, to be with her God. Now listen to me. Every person in here and all over the world has to make this decision. 
Everyone has to be, has to decide on the gospel. The truth of the gospel is God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And if we put our faith in him, if we put our trust in him, he will save us, he will forgive us, and he will reconcile us back to him. But we all have to make that decision to believe the gospel, to put our faith in Christ, or we have to, uh, we have to decide to deny the gospel. So the question is, what have you decided? And I hope you've made that decision. And I hope you decided to come to Jesus. So at this point, Orphi goes away, never to be heard of again. But Ruth clings to Naomi. The Hebrew word for clung uh, describes the bond of a marriage. Ruth was loyal and committed to Noah. But even greater, I think, Ruth's devotion and commitment to Naomi was her devotion and commitment to God. Look at verses 16 and 17. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now, you see the boldness of Ruth. You see the determination of Ruth. She's basically telling Naomi, stop talking to me, right? Quit trying to tell me to stay because you can't do it. I have made up my mind, and that is it. You've been talking to someone, and you're trying to convince them to do something. They've already made up their mind. It's not worth it, right? There's nothing you can do. And I think that's what we see going on right here. I believe uh, what we see also in this passage is there's more going on here. I think what we see is Ruth's conversion going on. I think her putting her faith in God and being committed and devoted to him. I believe Ruth is determined to go with God and to be with his people. Here's why I say this. First of all, she says, your people shall be my people and your God my God. I believe that Ruth has counted the cost and she has decided to be committed to God and his people. I believe the reason Ruth decides to follow and be committed to Naomi is because she's already committed and decided to be with God. Ruth is saying to Naomi, do not urge me to stay because I cannot stay here anymore. Because I no longer belong here. I belong to God and to his people. The second reason I think is we see Ruth say this, where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Now, in the ancient world, there was an association between the local deity you worshipped and, and where you were buried. If you wanted to have a restful afterlife, you had to be buried in the right place. For Ruth to be willing not only to live in the land, but to be buried in the land was a commitment to God. Ruth's committed conversion to the Lord is what we see in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. This is what Ruth has done. She had to turn from her idols and her gods, and she had turned to the true God. Four truths we see about salvation in these, these verses. First one, when we become a follower of Jesus, we have a new life. Now think about that. Ruth is going to give up her old life and go with Naomi and to be with her people in her land. This would be a new life for her. And the Bible tells us that when we become a Christian, we are a new creation. God has made us new. Second one is, when we become a follower of Jesus, we become a part of his community. Think about that. She's, now she's moving from her people to now she's going to God and his people. When we become a Christian, God not only saves us individually, but he brings us to a community, right? He brings us into a community where we love each other, we serve each other, and together we show the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. Third, when we become a follower of Jesus, we no longer belong to our current kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God. Ruth would give up her current land in Moab, and she would now belong to the land of Naomi. 
Hebrew 11.10 says this, that when Abraham went to the land that God showed him, he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder was God. See, Abraham knew and he believed that God had a greater kingdom waiting for him. We know, we see it in Revelation 21, the new heavens and the new earth. And we believe as Christians that one day, even though we're on this earth now, one day we're going to be in an eternal kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. This world is temporary, but God's kingdom is eternal. And the fourth one is this, salvation is for all people. Now, Ruth was an outsider. And you think about it, she was a Moabite. Moabites were constantly rebelling against God. And so for God to draw someone out of that nation, that shows you that God wants all people to be saved. Now, one of the things that we're seeing going on in the world today, and, and it's creeping into the church, is this whole thing about woke, right? What is, are you woke? Am I woke? Well, let me just tell you, I'm not going to hear to, to talk about that tonight. But let me just tell you the truth. I'm going to show you something very simple. The Bible is clear that God tells us two things. We are to love God above everything, and we are to love all people, our neighbors, as ourselves. As Christians, we have to love all people. We have to care for all people. We have to stand up for all people. Why? Because Jesus loved all people. Jesus cared for all people. Jesus stood, all for all, stood up for all people, and Jesus died on the cross for all people. It's simple, right? We are to love all people. So when Naomi saw her devotion and her termination, it says she said no more. Look at 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined she, to go with her, she said no more. There was no point. It was, it was, she saw the determination in Ruth and it was a waste of her time to even continue to talk. So she said nothing else. Look at verse 19. So the two of them went on the, until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stir because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now, we see here this word stirred means to make a great noise, to distract, to be moved. So we see when they came, the, the, the town was stirred, right? You can imagine they probably all knew what was going on. Now, we don't know if this was negative or if this was positive, right? It could be they were saying, hey, did you hear who was back in town? In excitement, right? No, he was back. Or it could be, hey, did you hear who was back in town? Kind of a negative thing. We don't know, but we do know that when she came back, it caused a stir. Look at verses 20 and 21. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, it sounds kind of like Naomi's having a pity party here, right? She's, she's saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, right? Because the Lord has built bitterly with me. This kind of reminds you of Exodus 15, right? When, when they're in the wilderness and they come upon a place called Mara. And the water there, they couldn't drink because it was bitter. And all the people had grumbled against, Lord, are you just going to leave us out here to die? Now, you think about everything they had seen till this point, right? They saw God bring them out of Egypt after slavery for 400 years. He saw them part the Red Sea. And they come to this and they have no water and they grumble, Right? Even after everything that God had done for them, they still grumble. And I think that's what we see going on with Naomi. No matter what all God had done for her, think about even all that she went through in Moab, God was still with her and protecting her. Think about Ruth. I think one of the best grace we see of God in this story is by Ruth being devoted to going with Naomi. And sometimes, just sometimes the grace of God is when he removes everything from us that's a distraction. Uh, so that we see him for who he truly is. So we see all the goodness that we see God, I believe, doing Naomi. What is Naomi doing? She's grumbling, right? Just like Israel, she's grumbling. And when we read these stories in the Bible, sometimes we can feel like, man, these people are crazy, right? 
But do we not do the same thing? How many times do we praise and we thank God when things are good, but the moment things go bad, what do we do? We question God. God, why, why am I going through this? Do you love me? Have I done something wrong? But notice something else. Notice something else that Naomi does, doesn't do that I believe we don't do. She doesn't take anything that she did wrong, right? She didn't say anything about, hey, we shouldn't have done this, we shouldn't have done that. All she was focused on was her situation. And you think about us, right? The, the moment, you know, when we sin and we rebel against God, how often do we, if we're honest, how often do we try to justify it? How often sometimes do we even blame God? Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God and God came to them and he asked them, what did you do? What did Adam say? Oh, this woman that you gave me did this, right? So we can blame God. I think we are just guilty of that as we see in this passage. But here's the truth. Sometimes we may find ourselves in hard times. It may be because of sin again, and it may not be. The Bible is clear on both. Both of those happen. But here's the truth. No matter what, we got two promises, two things that we can be confident in. One is, how can we ever question God's love for us when we know that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us? How can we read John 3.16 and even question, does God love us? And the other one is, in whatever situation, we are not to focus on our situation, we're to focus on Christ. That's what Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What Paul is saying here is that no matter what our situation is, whether it's good or bad, we don't focus on our situation. We always focus on Christ. And when we do that, then we will learn and understand and trust that God is working out all things for good, regardless if it doesn't always look good to us. We can always trust God in that if we focus on Christ and not on our situation. So before we move on to verse 22, I want you to see one of the things that I think is the most interesting thing she says. Notice she says, I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. Now she's talking about physical. I think she's saying I was physically full, I had family, and now I got nothing. But what I think we have to understand is we can sometimes be deceived by physical things. We can think that if I have a nice home, a nice family, a nice things, right, things in this world, that that will satisfy us. But the truth is, is that if we don't have Christ, we are spiritually deprived and that will only lead to a destruction in our lives. The coolest thing I believe we see here is not that Naomi left empty and she, or full and came back empty, but I think it was opposite. I think she left spiritually empty and she came back spiritually full. That's what happens when Christ, before Christ we were empty and with after Christ, once we found Christ, we are now full. Verse 22 so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, this verse is going to sum everything up. At the very beginning of this chapter, we saw the state of Israel. Israel, because of their rebellion, was spiritually and physically deprived. There was a famine in the land. This was what a picture of life without Christ looks like. And Naomi, because of the famine, they flee, right? And all these bad things happen to her. Her sons marry them all women. Her husband dies. Her sons die. Naomi becomes depressed, lonely, and she has no hope. This, again, is what life looks like without Christ. But now watch this. The verse says that Naomi and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The famine was over and there was harvest. And Naomi and Ruth arrive at a time of reaping. 
This is the grace of God looks like. This is what life with Christ looks like. Israel had rebelled against God and ran from God and they were spiritually deprived and now they repented and turned back to God and the famine was over and there was a harvest. They were now spiritually and physically fulfilled. Naomi had ran from God and she was depressed, lonely and hopeless and now she ran back to God and she would be joyful, satisfied and hopeful. This is the grace of God. And I pray that you have found this grace, and if not, it's waiting for you. See, this chapter in really the entire book of Ruth is a picture of the gospel. See, we've all ran from God. We've all rebelled against God. And because of this, our life is depressing, it's lonely, and we have no hope. Maybe that's your life right now. Maybe you're here and you're watching tonight, and you do not have a relationship with Christ. Like Israel and Naomi in this story, God is wanting you to come to him. He wants to have a relationship with you. All you have to do is repent Return from your wickedness and turn to God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't have your relationship with God is not what it used to be. You've stumbled, you've ran from God. But the truth is he wants you to come back. Like the story of the prodigal son. Remember when he's coming back and he's probably contemplating what his his, um, father's going to say because he had abandoned him. And it says that his father, when he saw him from a distance, he ran to him and he put his arm around him. And that's the thing about God. He loves us so much that even when we rebel against him, if we come back to him, not only would he accept us, not only would he, he welcome us, but he will run to us and he will embrace us and put his arm around us because he loves us. Even when we rebel against him. The question tonight is, will you come? Will you run to him tonight? Whether you're not a Christian, you don't have a relationship with him, or maybe, just maybe, your relationship with him is not what it used to be or what you want it to be. He will be glad and want you to come back to him. Make that a decision tonight. I'm reading a biography, or just finished one, on Augustine. And Augustine, if you know his story, he ran from God a long time, and he ran to worldly things. And he said the only thing that he found was depression, lonely, and restlessness. But the moment that he found Christ, he felt joy, satisfied, and restful. One of Augustine's famous quotes is this, Our hearts remain restless until our heart rests in you. The truth is we were made for God to be in a relationship with him and and, uh, to have a relationship with Jesus. And we will be like Naomi and we will feel depressed, lonely, and hopeless without a relationship with him. Do you want to feel that way? Do you want to feel hopeless? Do you want to feel depressed? Or do you want to feel joyful? Do you want to feel hopeful? And do you want to feel restful? Let's pray. Father, I just, uh, I thank you, Lord, for your word tonight, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that uh, maybe there's someone here that, um, that does not have a relationship with you. Maybe there's someone here that their relationship is not where it needs to be. Lord, you know who they are. Speak to them tonight, Lord. And I pray that they would make that decision tonight, Lord, to come to you regardless of the situation. That they would put away all the the shame and the guilt that they're feeling and they would just lay it all at your feet, Lord. And they would call out to you, Lord, to ask you to forgive them and save them. We know, Lord, in your word that if we do that, you promise to save us, to forgive us and to put away all of the guilt and shame, Lord. You take that and remove it from us. And I pray that for us tonight. And I pray as we go here tonight, Lord, I pray that we be a witness to you in the world, Lord, that we would take this good news of the gospel and we would share it with those who desperately need to hear the gospel. And I pray in all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.